We're starting a sermon series, uh, just three, three weeks, called Heart Work. And it's this idea that God transforms hearts. And that's the real work that God does right in here. And it's not easy, and it's not always fun, but time and again in Scripture, um, it is the heart that God is after. And not just the heart of the individual, of course, God is in the, in the business of transforming the heart of an individual, but also the heart of a church, the heart of a community, the heart of a nation, the heart of the world. Um, sometimes we preachers, and rightfully so, get criticized for making religion, or making Christianity all about kind of the individual relationship, and um, today may seem that way too, uh, but I recognize that it is broader than that. Okay, so for today's sermon, I'm going to read from Luke chapter 6, uh, just a few short verses, verses 43 to 45, and in these Bibles that are in the uh, pews in front of you, you can take one of these home, by the way. It's on page 828. Before I read from Luke, I want to read just a section from the book of Proverbs as well. Proverbs chapter 4, verses 20 to 23, and then Luke chapter 6, verses 43 to 45. And I'm going to invite the congregation to stand this morning for the reading of God's Word. From Proverbs 4. My child, pay attention to what I say. Listen carefully to my words. Do not lose sight of them. Let them penetrate deep into your heart, for they bring life to those who find them and healing to their whole body. Guard your heart above all else, for from the heart flows your life. And from Luke, the words of Jesus. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. A tree is identified by its fruit. Figs are never gathered from thorn bushes, and grapes are not picked from bramble bushes. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart, and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. May God bless the reading of God's Word, and would you pray with me? God, open our hearts to hear from you, and would you please continue to to transform our heart and turn our heart good. For the sake of your name, I pray these things. Amen. You may be seated. This message, this series, really, of messages is something that's been on my own heart uh, for some time now. In today's sermon, I have titled, Our Emotional God. As the title suggests, um, the next, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes of my sermon is going to be about how human emotions, how we perceive them as people of faith. What role do emotions play in the transformation of our hearts and in growing in maturity in Christ? And what I'm going to suggest is they have a huge role to play. It is sometimes uh, suggested, at least I got these messages as a kid, sometimes declared as gospel truth, that emotions cannot be trusted. They're fickle. They're unhelpful. They lead us to bad choices. They even lie to us. This is sometimes suggested. So, you know, don't trust them. 
What is not often explicitly stated, but is, I think, implicitly communicated, is that human emotion and this understanding has no role to play in growing in maturity in Christ, right? Growing in maturity, sanctification. But is this true? So these are the things I want to explore a little bit this morning. Um, During Jesse James' days, a very emotional time for many of us, I ran into a friend of mine. We hadn't seen each other for a few months. So we're catching up um, at the carnival. And, and you know, hey, how, how's your sabbatical going? Oh, it was good, it was great, this and that. And how was your summer? And my friend says to me, I'm, I read this really interesting book. Uh, and I liked it a lot. It was about God. But one of the chapters in this book, my friend said to me, made the case that God does not feel emotions. God doesn't. We misread uh, this. A little bit more on that in a second. And he said, what, what do you think of that as a pastor? I said, well, there's a lot of things I think about that. The Bible's filled with God's emotions. There are a couple of uh, theological terms, I think, that can be helpful when, it, when, when we come across this idea that God doesn't feel any emotions. How do we get there? How, how could someone think that? One idea is uh, kind of a, a big, important word. It's called the immutability of God. Immute, God is immutable. That is, God does not change, and this is a good thing to believe, right? God's justice that was millennia ago is the same justice that we have now, is the same justice we'll have someday uh, in the future. God doesn't change. But because, you know, emotions change, then therefore God maybe doesn't experience emotion. That's one idea, God's immutability. Here's another one, God's impassibility. There's another idea I don't hold to. The impassibility of God is this idea that God uh, does not feel any pleasure or pain based on any other being. Humans don't make God happy. Humans don't make God sad. God is not changed in one bit by humans. Okay. As my friend and I talked, um, uh, some Bible passages came to my mind. For example, Zephaniah chapter 3, where God says, I take delight in you. In fact, I sing songs of joy over you. That came to my mind. Another in Deuteronomy 4.24, God says, I'm jealous. I'm a jealous God. If you go running after other gods, I get jealous. God says that. It's all over the book of Deuteronomy, in fact. Or Genesis 6-6, where God says, I regret. (laughs) That's a weird idea, God feeling regret. I feel regret that I made humankind. Or in Ezekiel, chapter 36, where God has concern for God's reputation. This is all over Ezekiel, this idea that God has concern. I'm very concerned about my reputation. Like a high school kid, you know. But there it is. Uh, Some would suggest and say that, well, this is explained away because all this is is anthropomorphism, describing God in human terms so we can somehow understand God. It can't actually be the way God feels. It's just we use these words to describe God. Okay. Or it's projection, classic projection, right? This idea that the things I feel, I assume other people must feel the exact same way. 
If I feel hot in this room, which I, some people might feel right now, uh, everyone must. Or if I'm angry about something, everyone is going to be angry about something. And so we project these things onto God. I feel emotions, so God must feel them too. Uh, by the way, these readings of the Bible, uh, the anthropomorphism deal or the projection, they did not come first from social psychologists or linguists. They came first from theologians. Long, 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 long time ago. It's about the only phrase I can remember in Hebrew. There's nothing new under the sun. There's nothing new under the sun. I'll forget that one in a couple weeks. <clears throat> Even if someone wanted to hold the position that God doesn't feel emotions, and I certainly don't hold that position, as Christians, doing Christian theology, the, we got Jesus to deal with, don't we? We got Jesus to deal with. The, the, the one who is 100% human, 100% God, reflection of deity, God was pleased that the fullness of deity would dwell in him, the scripture teaches us and the scripture tells us. And in Christian uh, thinking, Jesus is the human par excellence. What does it mean to be fully human? Jesus demonstrates that for us, right? And Jesus expre uh, uh, experienced and expressed emotion according to the Gospels alone all the time. Um, uh, Mitch, if I could get that first slide. Here's just a, a, a quick list. Actually, Mitch, take that away just for a second. Go backwards because I forgot one example. Okay. I meant to do this part, and I didn't. Have you ever seen one of those movies, a Jesus movie? The ones where Jesus doesn't have any emotion? Like, he'll heal the paralytic. And everyone in the crowded house is just dismayed and shocked and, and praising God and jumping up and down. And the one who was paralyzed, who can now walk, is rejoicing. And Jesus is just like, go in peace, my child. <laughs> have you ever seen these? The guy was just stoic all the time. You know, Scandinavian. <laughs> Except for one time. In the temple. He's mad. You know. Which reminds me of uh, something a good friend of mine likes to say. There are only two emotions. Anger and not anger. Now, Mitch, <laughs> thank you. But look at this. These are just 10, 10 examples. There's so many more. He felt abandonment, Mark 15, 34. Anger and grief, uh, this is at the Pharisees. Anxiety in Luke 22. Frustration, in fact, um, uh, Mark tells us he took a deep breath. <sighs> Parents don't know what that's like. Gratitude, joy, he felt pressure. In Luke 12, he says, I, uh, uh, I have this mm, urgency until uh, this baptism by which I must be baptized. I think a re reference to his cross. I feel this urgency until that comes. Sorrow and tears, surprise. Luke 7, he heals the centurion who's not um, uh, Jewish. He's, he's a Greek, centur uh, Roman centurion. And Jesus, he sees this man's faith and he's, whoa, 
whoa, amazed. And then what I can only describe as uh, terror, Mark 14, as he faces the reality of being crucified. These are just some of the emotions that Jesus feels um, in his ministry, in his life. So far from being something uh, that have, has no place <laughs> in human faith in God, I think our emotions have a really important place. <clears throat> to be fully human in the way that God wants us and has designed us to be fully human is to experience emotion, to express them in ways that are good and proper. Jesus doesn't ever, as far as I can tell, apologize. He didn't, Jesus wept, and then he said, sorry, fellas, sorry, sorry, sorry. No. Lazarus was dead, so he wept, right? Um, and as far as I can see, God doesn't apologize for these emotions anywhere either. Now, there are warnings all over the place in the Bible, if I'm going to be honest, where there are warnings about how emotions unchecked, unguarded, or ignored uh, can bring about harm, evil, and this can come from emotions that are completely unchecked. The example that comes to my mind is Cain and Abel. You remember Cain and Abel? Both of them are bringing offerings to God. They're brothers. They bring offerings to God. Uh, and the text says that, that, that there was something about Abel's sacrifice that God was very pleased with. And this made Cain very angry because he didn't seem to receive the same type of um, um, acceptance. And so he's angry. It says his face was distorted. And so God comes and he speaks to Cain. What does God say? Cain, you can't trust your emotions. They're fickle. Get over it. Do you know what God says? Mitch, put it up on the screen. This is what God says. Why are you angry? Why, why do you look dejected? Let's talk about it. What is at the heart of this thing? And to me, this is a clue. You will be accepted? Is that why you're so mad? Your, your fear of rejection? I will accept you. I, I will accept you. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. In other words, don't let your emotions, you know, propel you to do evil. Let's uncover this. What is going on inside of that heart of yours? What's going on? Thanks, Mitch. So let me offer, just with the time that's remaining, uh, there you are. Three, you love, you love a three-point sermon, you do. Everyone knows that. Yeah. <laughs> Just considerations when it comes to emotions and spiritual growth. Okay? Emotional growth. One. And this one is a little tougher to tie strictly to a scripture, though I'll do my best. Is this. More often than not, emotions are telling us the truth. More often than not, they're telling us the truth. This pushes back against the idea that they cannot be trusted, right? Uh, I, I point back to Cain. God didn't say, 
your anger is lying to you. Why are you angry? Let's, that's where the work is. That's where the work is, right here. That's where it's at. Um, rather than seeing emotions as not mattering at best or as enemies or liars at worst, they should be seen as trusted allies that tell us what is going on in here. Oh, In fact, they will tell us the truth sometimes before our thinking will. Uh, I've heard it put this way, that when we think about kind of the, if we're, hard to do, but if you're going to parse out the human kind of constitution, right? The will, thinking, uh, actions, and emotions. Emotions get to go first. And that's just the way it is. They tell us what's going on. And so we can say, like the psalmist, Lord, search me and know me. Search my heart. Is there anything offensive in there? Here's kind of the question I think that this gets to. What might our emotions be telling us about our relationship with God and our relationship with the world and even our relationship to ourselves? More often than not, they're telling us the truth. What are they trying to say? All right, that's one. Um, I had a note in here about there's this really interesting thing that happens in the Bible. I got a second. In the Old Testament. And I, I don't exactly know how to make sense of it, but God will say, this is all over Deuteronomy, for example. Moses says to the Israelites, God brought you through the wilderness so that God could see what was in your heart. That's why you went through the wilderness. God needed to see what was in there. Uh, this same thing is said of Hezekiah in 2 Chronicles. This thing happens, and it said, the, the writer says, and God allowed this thing to occur so that God could see what was in Hezekiah's heart. What is in there, right? Okay, two. It seems to me that God can use our emotions to instruct us. Uh, Mitch, put this up. I've done this before. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Psalm 16, 7. Psalm 16 is about um, this, God, this gratitude this person feels about the way God has brought good things into this person's life. But notice what it says here in verse 7. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel, right, guides me. In the night also my heart instructs me. I've done this before, um, but this word for, that gets translated heart is actually, in Hebrew, the word for the kidneys, which brings new understanding <laughs> to the verse that my kidneys instruct me in the night. Wake up. It's time to go. Okay, that's not what the verse means. In the ancient Near East, uh, we think about our heart as where emotions dwell. Of course, they all dwell up here. But in the ancient years, it was the kidneys and in the guts. That's where the emotions were uh, kind of seen as residing. And so that, plus the way Hebrew poetry works, there's always these parallel lines. If you may have picked up on that if you've read a lot of Hebrew poetry. These parallel lines, and they always should be taken together to communicate something as a team. And here it says, the Lord gives me counsel, 
and my emotions instruct me in the night. And isn't that when we often feel the rawest of our emotions at night? Um, For whatever reason, maybe it's fear, maybe we're so excited about something we cannot sleep, uh, or we're worried, or we miss somebody. And this is saying that that's the place where the Lord in his goodness meets with us and instructs us. God is good. Number three. All the time. That's right. Number three, last one, and then I'll wrap it up. Emotions in their fullness in Christ, emotions in their maturity, can spur us to do good. The model for this, of course, I use him as a model a lot, is Jesus. Uh, You know the story of the feeding of the 5,000? It finds its way in every one of the Gospels. In both Mark and Matthew, before Jesus does this miracle, this is what he says to his disciples. He says, I have compassion on these people. And it will not do to let them go hungry. He doesn't say, I thought about it. I've crunched the numbers, which is, of course, what the disciples were doing. How are you going to feed this me? I didn't bring any food, right? Jesus is spurred by his compassion. Um, This is the same word that's used in Luke 7, where uh, this woman lost her son, and it says that he has compassion, and he heals her son. Uh, the word splangizomai, that's a fun one to say. It means the guts are churned up. And so he does good. And so he does good. Emotions in, the, in their fullness of Christ can spur us to do good. One last example of that. In Hebrews chapter 12, uh, we, just, in, we just chewed on those verses a couple weeks ago. It tells us that Jesus was willing to endure the cross, scorning its shame. Why? Because there was joy set before him. Joy. Praise God. Welcome back, kiddos. Jesus was willing to walk this horrible horrible road on our behalf to free us, to forgive us, to heal us, yes, for joy, for the sake of joy, according to the book of Hebrews. And that is something that is just amazing. Praise God. Well, let's pray. God, I think of Cain and his anger and your invitation to face it and let it teach him but he would not and Abel paid the price God would you instruct us in the night God with whatever tool you deem appropriate 
that we would be transformed, conformed to the heart of Jesus Christ, our Lord, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. We pray these things in his name. For he is good. Amen.